Well, this morning, if you'll take your Bibles and turn with me to Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, I'm going to share uh, the first part of our local evangelism month, <clears throat> being engaging our culture or talking about or at least sharing with how we can you know, engage a, a, a people or a time in which we're all immersed in, we're all part of. So we can't run from that, we can't hide from that, we are part of our culture today. And I just want to talk to you just a little bit before we go to the Lord's Supper on what that means. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to share a message that deals with, with the culture we live in. And uh, I hope it helps us understand the urgency of our times and the times that we live in today. You know, cultures change. They change through generations. And uh, the, the one we live in today is the one that God has placed all of us in. Would you agree with that? This, this not mistake you're here. We've talked about this numerous times. This is the culture that God has placed us in. And so, unless we believe in coincidence or unless we believe that God makes some mistakes, okay, which if you do, you're wrong, uh, that doesn't happen that way. For some reason, for God's purpose, for God's reason, He has placed us in at this time and this day and in this culture. And as Christians, if God has placed us here at this time and in this culture, we should know how to engage this culture and, uh, and have an effect, if you will, in this culture for the glory of God and for His kingdom. And so you need to know this this morning. The culture we live in today is not the same culture of even just a few years ago. It is changing, it's changing quickly and it will continue to change until the Lord comes. So, now, there are many bright, many amazing, many wonderful things that we experience and that we have in our culture today. I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm not trying to make that less than what it is. But there is also a very dark and evil side of our culture as well. And often, often, we don't like to think of this evil side. You know Why? Because it makes us feel bad. It makes us feel sad. It makes us uncomfortable. We definitely don't want to talk about it in church. Sometimes we may talk about it at lunch or maybe outside of church, but not in church. In church, we're here for the reason to read the Word and maybe have some conviction. We don't want to talk about the evil side or the dark side of our culture. Well, this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do, I'm afraid. So you have an opportunity to get up and leave right now if you want. Everybody else will stare at you if you do. Good. I want to take just a glimpse at this dark side of our culture. And I want to see how it has changed. And most importantly, how it affects us personally and as a local church. Then I want to share how we can engage the culture and uh, through the Holy Spirit and be a light uh, in this darkness. And, and, hopefully, and hopefully make you and myself see that the culture we live in so desperately needs Christ. Desperately. You know, I've shared this before, and I'll say it again. F.B. Meyer is an old Bible scholar. He once said that sin is dark, it is dangerous, and it is damnable. The part I want to share with you is to, to let you know that sin is dark. It is dark because it, it hides our lives. It hides... And as, as one writer said, in the shadows of our life, it is, it is deceptive. Sin is, it, 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 it despises the light of truth. 
And all of us can bear witness to that. When we are in sin, the last thing we want to hear is truth. It destroys lives. It destroys reputations. It destroys families. It leaves scars. It, it, it steals innocence. It robs us of our joy. And you know what happens if we ignore it long enough? It will make us hard. We can become so hard that we can perform unthinkable acts against one another and against other humans. But the good news is, because of God, because God is holy and sin is so dark, Christ died. Amen? He paid the penalty for sins at the cross, and now a holy God can reach into a life of a, of a sinful man or a sinful woman, and He can change that life. He can make it a thing of beauty. He can make it a thing of, of delight. He can make it a thing of purity. And He can even make it a thing of holiness. That's exactly what God expects of His people, is holiness. It appears that we have forgotten this sometimes. We've forgotten one of the oldest commands in all of Scripture, where the Bible tells us, you shall be what? Holy. For the Lord your God is holy. But being holy is not automatic. Would you agree with that? It's not automatic. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior here this morning, do you feel holy? It doesn't matter what you say. We shouldn't go by our feelings. Being holy is not automatic. Even though Jesus has made us alive to serve a holy God, Christians can live as if still they are enslaved to sin. And many of them do. By responding to evil, we can become evil-like creatures, though we have redeemed hearts. And we all know this is true. I want to look at a portion of Scripture this morning that is just one, just one good description of just what the dark side of our culture is like. And here in the book of Leviticus, Leviticus was the was the uh, children of God's earliest manual of worship, if you will. It tells the people of Israel, who are God's chosen, uh, that what type of sacrifices they were to offer to God for certain things. This book describes the lifestyle that God's people were to live by, and, and they were to live by it in a world that has lost its way, a world in which we live in much like today, a world that has lost its way, a world that needs models of holiness to show them that there's a difference between them and the God they do not know. A little background here. You see, the people were on the verge of moving into a land that was given over to idolatry, was given over to pagan lifestyles, it was given over to heathenism. They would soon plunge into that type of a culture, a culture the totally opposite of holiness. And God tells them, in, in, in summary, you need to understand your role, people. You need to understand your role, my chosen ones. You have to be a distinctive body of people. You have to be a distinctive body of people before me, and you will be distinctive from the people that are around you. You have to be different. You will do different things. You will, you will learn different things. You will, you will participate in different things than those around them. So in Leviticus chapter 20, I want to read, and I want you to listen how God insisted, insisted that His people be a people of holiness. 
Look with me in verse 7. We're going to read a large passage of Scripture and not a nice passage. Remember, we're talking about the dark side of our culture. In Leviticus chapter 20, starting in verse 7, Moses writes, Consecrate yourself for the Lord. He writes, Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I, the Lord your God, for I am the Lord your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And you underline that very, those, those very first two verses right there, and, and you have something that you can live on. He says, For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon them. Now follow along, because it's not going to be pretty. If a man commits adultery with the, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They have committed perversion. Their blood is upon them. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. If a man takes a woman and her mother also, it is depravity. He and they shall be burned with fire, that there may be no depravity among you. If a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Dark culture. Look at verse 17. If a man takes his sister, a daughter of his father or a daughter of his mother, and sees her nakedness, and she sees his nakedness, it is a disgrace, and they shall be cut off in the sight of the children of their people. He has uncovered his sister's nakedness, and he shall bear his iniquity. If a man lies with a woman during her menstrual period, uncovers her nakedness, he has made naked her fountain, and she has uncovered the fountain of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from among their people. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister or of your father's sister, for that is to make naked one's relative. They shall bear their iniquity. If a man lies with his uncle's wife, he has uncovered his uncle's nakedness. They shall bear their sin. They shall die childless. If a man takes his brother's wife, it is impurity. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And I want you to follow along real close in verse 22 and 23. He says this, You shall therefore keep all my statutes, statutes and all my rules and do them. Why? The why is not in there. That the land where I am bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I am driving out before you. And listen what he says. All that we've just read, listen what he says. For they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God, who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean, and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall not make yourselves detestable by beast, or by bird, or by anything with which the ground crawls which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. Then he says in verse 26, You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy, and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. Listen, 
stuck between verse 7 and verse 26. These two commands of holiness are some very delicate and very hard-to-read passages of Scripture. These verses describe the exact opposite of a holy lifestyle. These verses describe sin at its ugliest. It describes a, a culture at its darkest. Not unlike our culture today. Verse 22 and 23 tells us that. We live in an evil culture. And look what it says. You shall therefore keep all my statutes, all my rules, and do them. And do them. That's what he's telling his chosen people. And do them. That the land where I'm bringing you to live may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you. For they did all these things. And therefore I detested them. Sometimes we read that passage of scripture and we think that, that God is just telling us, don't do these things because I don't like them. He is telling us that. Don't do these things because they are detestable to him. But there was a culture, there was a nation, there was a people who were doing those things. And God tells them, don't, don't do that. Follow my rules, follow my statutes. Listen, God, this is what happens. Before we shrug our, shrug our shoulders and, and shrug these things away, and we say something like this, which we're very good at today in our culture, and we say stuff like, these are very despicable things, and I understand God hates them, but praise Him for His wonderful grace. I agree with that to a point. We need to understand God has been a God of grace throughout all existence. Amen? But He is also... He is also a God of justice, He is a God of righteousness, and He is a God of holiness. He never, never, ever smiles at sin. Never. Especially the sins of His own people. In fact, a distinctive mark of a holy person is an absolute fear of sinning. If you'll turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm just going to go ahead and start to read, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1, starting in verse 15, Peter writes, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. Believe that? But as he has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, work, Conduct yourself throughout the time of your stay here in what? In fear. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold for your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The result of a lifestyle like this in Leviticus is a people with no regard for God's holiness no regard for sin, no fear of sin. That's why, folks, that's why we have school shootings today in America. That's why, that's why we have all forms of sexual perversion, child abuse, spousal abuse, whatever, you name it. That's why we have homosexuality today. That's why we have abortion on demand today. And, 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 and the list could go on and on. There is no fear of sin. Anything goes. 
we have a distorted view of holiness. So what's that mean? What's that mean for us as a church living in this dark culture? What does that mean? What's that mean for us? You know what? It has taken a terrible toll on the churches today in our nation. We've had to, we've had to adapt a total different mindset than in the past. Things have changed rapidly. His holiness and his hatred of sin no longer influences the way many people, including believers, live. The uniqueness of our time, the uniqueness of our culture, if you will, is that the church is no longer respected as a part of the body of God. Have you experienced that? Do you truly realize that? There was a time when our culture considered Christian speech and his motives to be pure. That time is gone. There was a time when our culture considered a Christian's word to be their bond. That time is gone. There was a time when when a Christian's home was a place of safety, where children grew up innocently and they were protected from violence and abuse and things like that. That time is gone. doesn't happen so much today. We've lost the people's respect. We've lost the culture's respect. The world tells us that we need to be more tolerant. We need to be more diverse in our thinking. We need to be more loving, at least according to their definition of love. This is one of the reasons that our church and other churches have to to adapt policies have to create policies and and adapt policies and statements to protect us. To protect us in what we believe and to protect us legally. I know you're saying, legally? What's that got to do with the church? Because people don't like us as much as they used to. People will sue churches. You can't be ignorant of that, right? People don't look at us the way they used to in a previous culture, in a previous generation. That's also the reason why many churches today have to have uh, a security or safety ministries. We'd have never thought of that a few years ago. Let me, let me give you just a, a couple of areas here, which, and the only reason I bring this up because this is just something I happen to be involved in, so it was easier for me to, to show this. And, and, and I just want to give you a couple of examples to show you what I mean. Here's a study on church violence. It's a deadly force incident. It's a comprehensive look at the violent acts with deadly force affecting faith-based organizations across the United States. Okay, From January 1st, 1999 through December 31st, 2017, there have been no fewer than 1,705 violent incidents of deadly force in our churches today in America leaving a total of 617 murdered victims over the course of that 19-year study. There is more violence in our nation's churches than in our nation's schools. People don't look at us the same. We live in a dark culture. Or at least there's a dark side of our culture. And it's affected the church and how we do things, how we live. Let me give you another example. Child sexual abuse or sexual abuse, period. There was a study done in 2015 
during a th- and, and most of the leaders have heard this before. So during a three-year period over the past decade, let me explain this study because it kind of sounds kind of confusing, but this is what they're talking about. If you took and condensed that 10-year study down to a three-year period, okay? That's what they're talking about in this study. That there was an average of, listen to this, there was an average of 23 sex crimes committed on Protestant church or Protestant faith-based property every day of every week. 23. Every day of every week. It's almost one an hour. It stated there have been more sex crimes in 60 days than there have been shootings in 15 years. I want you to listen very closely to this, especially those of you who Maybe a little so-so on our child protection program. Listen very closely. 50% of these crimes are being committed by volunteers or non-paid leaders. 50%. 30% of these crimes are committed by paid church staff. 20% are committed by strangers or uninvolved attenders. And before you say it couldn't or it wouldn't happen here, don't. Don't even go there. That is nothing more than a ploy of Satan telling you that. I'm sure there were some in in the High Point Church in Tennessee who are now dealing with a child sexual abuse case by one of their pastors, and I bet you they thought the same thing. It'll never happen to us. It couldn't happen here. I'm sure the people at Southern Springs, Texas, which all of us have heard about, Last year, thought the same thing until the congregation of around 100 was taken by a gunman and 26 people were killed. You know the summary of that report? One of the investigators stated that all the people he talked to said, I never thought that it would happen to us. We've been here for 100 years. Now, the village church in Texas who's dealing with a sexual abuse case, or Bill Heibel's church, or, or, or the church in South Carolina where nine people were murdered just a couple years ago. The list could go on and on and on and on. How very dark our culture can be. And it has affected our churches. We need to be aware of it. Well, what are we supposed to do? What can we do? Well, God has called us to give life-giving help. Wouldn't you agree? We have a gospel to give, folks. And these people's hearts need to be changed. You can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. But you have the gospel. And you can give it. It doesn't cost you anything except some boldness, at least in our country today. I think one of the first things as a church we could do, and since the world has never been a safe place, the church needs to be. It needs to be a safe place. It needs to be the one place where sin is recognized for what it truly is. And it needs to be proclaimed how dark it is in one's life and in one's culture. We need to just state it and understand it and let people know that's what we believe. The church also needs to be a place that the world can count on to stand against sin even if they don't believe it or like it. They can count on it. The church also must be a place that can handle children's and adults' secrets, a source of compassion for those who have been violated or those who have been molested or those who have been abused. The second thing I believe the church should do, since many times, not always, 
But since many times the home is no longer a place for the hurting, the church must be. It must be that place. It must be the place that can be trusted. And if you've been abused or molested or whatever the takes, whatever has maybe taken place in your life, I want you to rest assured that here at First Baptist Church in St. John's, we will listen to you. We will listen to you. We will not judge you. We will assist you. We will be neither uncaring nor judgmental. I think the church needs to do that. I think the church needs to be that. Keep in mind, we will not tolerate, nor will we be passive toward anyone who preys on the defenseless and preys on the innocent. That you can count on as well. As individuals, what should we do? As Christians, what should we do? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 3, if you turn back or turn forward just a little bit, I'm going to close with this. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, the Bible says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Bless, for this you were called, that you may retain a blessing. This is one way we should be confronting our culture. We shouldn't be running from it. We shouldn't be putting all the people who disagree with us in some sort of state all by themselves. We need to engage with them. Not run from it. Take a stand. Draw a line in the sand. Verse 8 says, Finally, you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil. When you're called various names, don't call people names back in return. Don't render evil for evil. You're called. Remember, you were called to this day and age, this culture, for a reason. God didn't make any mistakes. It says no reviling for reviling. When you're reviled like, oh, you're such a bigot. Why don't you just just keep your bigotry to yourself when that culture tells you that? Or when they say, why are you so homophobic? Or why are you so Islamic phobic? Or whatever the other phobics are. When they say those things to you, don't reply back that way. Why are you such this and this? Why are you such that and that? Don't do that. Share with them. You have a gospel that they need to hear. You know a God that they do not know. Remember verse 13. Let me read this to you in 1 Peter 3. He says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Verse 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, and it's easy to have it happen to us today because of this present culture, you are blessed. You are blessed. Remember this. You're going to receive enough grace to endure it successfully. So you're blessed. So you might bring glory to God. That's the reason why. And that his gospel can be preached. We have to ingrain that in our minds. Folks, keep in mind, maybe the world can tolerate this darkness. It can tolerate this dark culture. Maybe homes can even overlook this evil. But mark this down. The church can do neither. They can do neither. That's where we stand.